Show of hands. Who here just feels like they're tired, exhausted, worn out, either spiritually, physically, or emotionally? You know, I hear, I hear everybody say, I love church because there's this time where we come and we can be refreshed and we can be renewed. And truly that happens as we spend time worshiping the Lord, being in his presence, uh, hearing the word of God. And, and it's like um, having your uh, inner self reset, so to speak, and being renewed and rejuvenated for the week to come. And, um, uh, but it doesn't have to happen just one day a week. You know, that, that being rested and renewed when we feel like we are um, burdened, when we feel like the weight of the world is on us, when we feel exhausted, either physically or emotionally or spiritually, when we feel that way, there's an answer for us. And when we study through the Word of God today, that's what we're going to see, is we're going to see this, this answer that God's provided for us so that we can feel rejuvenated, so that we can feel encouraged, so that we can feel um, truly inspired to go on and, and do the work that God's called us to do. You know, we talk about in the Christian world, you know, be careful that you don't get burned out. You know, and, and getting burned out in Christian ministry isn't as the result of doing things. It's not even as the result of doing too many things. Often people say, be careful so you're not taking too much on you. You know, you can be in the Christian world and doing ministry and, and be doing just a little bit and still get burned out. And the reason why is because you're not taking a rest in the Lord. And you know, I always tell people, they, they encourage me, and there's wisdom in that. They say, you know, you do a lot, be careful, and, and, I, and you know, you look tired or whatever. And, and I always tell them, you know, there'll be time to rest in heaven. And, and I'm being a little, little sarcastic and joking around, but truly, the answer to, to, to a, a, a healthy Christian life, so to speak, if we want to use maybe a word, a word that the, the world uses, a healthy, a healthy life, it's found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's found in relationship with God. And before we get into the, to the actual verses of our study this morning, I, you know, how many here who, who has heard, you know, Jesus is the answer? Have you heard that? Yeah? What do you think that means? Jesus is the answer. You know, lots of us, I think one of the first things that comes to mind is that for salvation, right? Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He's the answer. You want eternal life? You want a living hope? He's the answer. You want the peace and the joy and, and the forgiveness that comes along with that? Jesus is the answer. You know, but when we talk about Jesus being the answer, he's just not a answer, is he? He's the answer. And I want to reiterate that this morning because as we're going through the creation account and the beginning of all things as we look at this, we're, we're shown another reason for why we can truly say Jesus is the answer. Who here struggles with fear? Ever. Anxiety. Worry. Anger. You know, all of these things that are, are, are what we may say are, are, are thoughts or emotions, the spirit side of us. You know, even depression. Who here has struggled with depression? I mean, we all have at some point. The truth is, is this life can be very depressing. And these things come upon us. Who here has struggled with physical health? 
Yeah, I mean, I know some of you are cancer survivors. Others of you have ongoing um, diseases that you deal with on a daily basis. Um, Megan is homesick right now. She's got a viral infection in her neck. Have you guys ever seen that? Where you're like, she's, if she ever, don't tell her I'm saying this. She'd be embarrassed. But um, she, she woke up the other day and she, she moved her neck and then it was like, now she can't move it. And it's a viral infection that can settle in the muscles of the neck. I mean, it can be from something little. Even in the Bible, we read that, that Jesus was concerned about Peter's mother-in-law. See, God loves mother-in-laws. He was concerned about Peter's mother-in-law who had a, a fever, is what we're told. And, and um, it's proof, biblical proof, God loves mother-in-laws. <laughs> but, but not only that, how about, how about have you ever just been heavy in your heart and, and, and you don't even know exactly the reason why. You know, your, your, your wife or your husband comes up and you're going like, what's the matter with you? And you're like, I don't know. I don't know. Well, in every one of those instances, we can take that little phrase that we use as Christians and just say, you know, Jesus is the answer. And it can become cliche, but the truth is, is we understand from our study this morning that Jesus is the answer for all of these things of life that we face because the rest the rejuvenation, the revitalization, the rebirth, the restoration, all of these things that we're in need of whenever we're facing one of these things, those kinds of healings all are found in a relationship with God. Here's the reason why. is because that's what we've been designed for. That's what we've been created for. You know, before I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I didn't know that Jesus was the answer. Many of you are the same way. And even today, we lose sight of the fact that Jesus is the answer. And when we do that, we allow sin to come back into our life and have some kind of dominion over us. Who here, as, even as a believer, has found themselves struggling with a sin where you go back to it like a dog returning to its vomit? You know, you go there and you're just like, oh, I'm lapping this up. Like the Bible says, sin is a dog returning to its vomit. And you're like, you know it's no good, but you just can't get enough. And you're lapping it up. And you get done with it, and you're just thoroughly disgusted with yourself. I've been there. You know, or you go, why? Why? Well, what we forget is that Jesus is the answer. You know, the world tells us so many other things that we need to do in those instances. You know, whether it's alcohol, whether it's pornography, whether it's um, drug addiction, whether it's, uh, you know, unable to control yourself in, in self-control in any kind of way. Maybe it's a problem with anger. All of these things, even as believers that we still in our flesh struggle with, Jesus is the answer. What do I mean by that? Is that if you want to be set free from those things, it's a putting off, like Colossians says, and a putting on. What are we putting off? We're putting off these things that we're struggling with, whether it's in our mind or in our actions or in our heart, and we're putting on Jesus. Because ultimately what, what the truth is, is, is you and I have been created, and you know, people will say it like this, we've been created with this hole, right? And it's Jesus-shaped hole. And there's some truth to that. That's not exactly theologically correct. I don't want to get into it fully, but there's some truth to that. But the, 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 the premise or the basis for that kind of thinking rests in the fact that we understand, we know that apart from God, we're incomplete. We've been created right in His image, in His likeness. And there's an incompleteness when we're apart from him. And when we're apart from him, we sense a need for something. And in that sensing or that knowing that we 
have a need. Maybe, maybe, we, maybe that need really we attribute it to is I have no joy. I have no peace. There's no satisfaction in my life in this area. Remember in the, in the end of Revelation, we talk about how Jesus will satisfy every one of our needs, every one of our thirsts in heaven. He is the fountain of living water that brings satisfaction to everything that we have, everything that we need. And we've talked about how we can have that now. And we confuse that and, and, and at times and turn to these other things when really the answer is relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the answer. You want to be set free from these things that are controlling you or these things that are dominating you? The core answer is to put in more of Jesus. Put in. You don't even have to worry about all those other things. You want to know why? It's because the more of Jesus that we put in, we're rested, we're renewed, we're, we're revitalized, we're rejuvenated, we're restored, we're set free, and, and, and we don't even realize that it's happening because we're getting everything that we need from this relationship with Jesus, and everything else just fades away and goes out. But often we get confused and we think that we need to focus on this. We need to focus on not being angry. We need to focus on not being drunk. We need to focus on not looking at porn. We need to focus on whatever the situation is. We get our eyes off of the, and onto the wrong things rather than getting it on Christ Jesus. And all of these truths are rooted to, in what we read here in chapter 2. Really at the end of chapter 1 and all the way through chapter 2 where we see that man in regards to creation is unique. Did you know that you're unique? You're unique from every other created thing that God has ever created. Mankind is. The world would want us to believe otherwise, though, right? You're no different than the animals that walk the earth or the fish that swim in the sea. We all originated from them, is what the, is what the world, what Satan would want us to believe. And in that, this truth is lost that we've been talking about. But when we realize that God's made us different, we have to ask why. Why has he made us different? Why has he created us, apart from everything else, in his image? Why has he created us in a unique way? And it's so that we might have fellowship with him. That's why he's made us different. And when we realize that, and when we're fulfilling what we've been created and designed to do, all of these other things that make us feel wearied and tired and burdened go away when we're doing what we've been designed and created to do. Now, as most of you know, when we begin the book of Genesis last week, in the very first chapter where it accounts the creation of all things, I, I spoke to you in preparation for our study, and I pointed out that the book of Genesis really accounts more than just the beginning of creation, right? There's an accounting, as we study through this, of the beginning of all things. And as we move now into chapter 2, we're going to be told about the beginning of man's relationship with God. Okay, let me say that again because it ties it all together, what I've already said. In chapter 2, we're going to be told about the beginning of of man's relationship with God. In other words, we're going all the way back to the origin to see what it's truly about and what it's truly for. To the beginning 
of man's relationship with God. And in light of this, we see that man is different. When we go back to the origin, when we go back to the beginning, when we go back to the creation, we see that man is different than any other created thing and that the relationship that we, as, as men and women, as mankind, the relationship that we've been called to have with our creator is also different than any other created thing. I know a lot of you, a lot of you love your dogs. You love your cats. Your pets are part of your family. That's fine. That's cool. But you know what? The relationship that your dog and cat have with God is different than the relationship that you have. Some of you might not believe that to be true. But it's true. We're different than any other created thing in the way that we relate to our Creator. Right? In fact, this relationship between God and man shown to us here in chapter 2 as we get ready to read through it, it has, it has many different aspects. It has multiple dimensions, our relationship with God. For example, one of the cool things about man's relationship with God is that man's called into a friendship with God. That's an aspect. A friendship with God. There's also in the aspects and dimensions of our relationship with God, there's man's worship of God. There's man's service to God. Man's loyalty to God. And in addition to that, there's man's authority, which has been given to us from God. And, and it's these aspects that we're going to key in on this morning as we go through chapter 2. But before we dive into chapter 2, I've got to go back and, and look for just a few minutes at chapter 1 regarding the creation account, the six days of creation that we read about, that I really didn't have time to go into detail like I would have liked to last week. And the, and the reason why we got to do it is because these things are what carry us into chapter 2 in this relationship dynamic that we have with God. Now, the first, if you're taking notes, is the fact that when God speaks, and you remember we read through this, I'm not going to read it again, but when God speaks, something will always happen. What was that, E.F. Hutton? When E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens. You know, E.F. Hutton is, is like, who's E.F. Hutton? All these young kids. Like, see, no, nobody cares about E.F. Hutton. But when God speaks, when God speaks, all of creation, everything listens. And what I mean that is that there's a response to it. When God speaks, something always happens. And in that, God's authority and God's power is revealed to us right? In Psalm 33, verses 8 through 9, listen, it says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. And when we consider the acts of God, which are recorded for us back in chapter 1, where we read how God spoke and, and he created out of nothing everything that has been brought into existence. God spoke and brought everything out of nothing. And when we consider that, really, truly, in, in light of what we even read there in Psalm 33, when we consider that, at least when I consider that, I don't know about you, when you consider that, the only logical response is for us to bow ourselves in reverence, in worship, considering God's creative acts reveal God of power. God's creative acts reveal God of wisdom, 
whose word carries authority. You know, even secularists or humanists today in the scientific realm who've come to the place where they believe because they look out into scientifically into all of creation, then they go, it has to be by design. Right? That most everybody in the scientific world has abandoned the thought that this, and this is the truth, has abandoned the thought that things just randomly happen. That's because when they look at the complexity of the creation or the complexity of the world around us, and in, in even in, in, a, in a cellular level, they're blown away and they go, everything points to the fact that there's a creator. Not only that, that there's a creator. Now, they don't attribute it to God, aliens or, or you know, whatever. They don't attribute it to God. They're still not willing to give God the honor that he deserves, but we see the difference. But in that, they even all acknowledge that there had to be someone or something who was all-powerful and it was full of wisdom in order to, to design this complex world that we live in. And that's the truth. When we see it, when we look at it, when we read about it, that God speaks and it came, it should bring us to the point where we see the power of God and the wisdom of God and that God, by His very word, has authority. Now, the second thing that needs to be pointed out in regards to the creation is that there's an obvious pattern. Maybe you noticed that as we were reading through it. I'm going to highlight a few of these things. But there's an obvious pattern to God's activities during the creation week. And this, this whole thought centers around the idea of, of design. Who here, you know, when, you, when, you, when, you're, when you're creating or designing something, you know, Chuck's built homes and other people here, you guys have built things. You, some of you ladies craft. and I mean, there's a, there's a plan that goes into it, right? There's a design that goes into it. You think at least in your mind, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, because this is what I want to achieve. You know, I love those Pinterest. Nailed it. <laughs> have you seen that? It's like this, there's wonderful craft on Pinterest. And I'm not on Pinterest, just so you know, Jason. <laughs> My wife's on Pinterest, and, and they like she'll do these crafts every once in a while, and it's like the, the picture that the person in there dis- did is nothing like what you did, and so people take these contrasting photos, and they say, nailed it. It's, it's a joke. But the point is, is, is there's, there's a plan there you can get from Pinterest even on how to, to achieve this thing, and if there's no wisdom in that, you're not going to achieve the right thing. But... In all of this, as we look at the creation and, 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 and we look that there's an obvious pattern to, the thi- to, to how God did it, it reveals some things to us. And the pattern that we see in chapter 1 is this. It's this simple. First, God formed or created, and then he filled. First, God formed or he created, and then he filled. In other words, if you go back through the creation account, the 60 creation account in chapter 1, God made three spheres, if you will, of activity. First, there was the heavens, right? We're told. Then there was the land masses, one of the spheres, the heavens, the land masses, and then the third sphere or, 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 or place of activity that God eventually filled was the waters. The heavens, the earth, and the waters. And, 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 and in creating the heavens, we're told then in verses 3 through 5 that on the first day God said, let there be light, and he divided and separated the light from the darkness. That was the heavens. Then in verses 6 through 8, we read that God created a firmament or an expanse, and he divided or separated the waters, and as a result, he says that there were waters above and then there were waters below. 
And lastly, in verses 9 through 13, we're told that God gathered these waters together and he created dry land, calling the dry land earth and the water seas. Three spheres of activity that God formed or created, but then in this pattern of creation that God has given to us, having created the heavens, having created the land masses, having created the waters, God proceeded to fill them. That was part of his plan. And starting with the heavens, God then in verses 14 through 19, it says that he filled the heavens with lights, lights for the day and for the night to give light on the earth. Then in, in verses 20 through 23, we're told that on the fifth day, he filled his creation with an abundance of living creatures, creatures to fly above the earth and to swim in the seas. And on the sixth day of creation, God, according to verses 24 on through 31, it says, he brought forth all kinds of living creatures then to walk upon the earth, and he brought forth man who is created, the pinnacle of his creation, man who is created in the image of God, different than every other thing that had been created previously to this, and, and he created God, or God created man in his image in order that he might have dominion, it says, authority, power, over everything that God had put in the heavens, everything that God had put in the seas, and everything that God had put upon the earth. A pattern. And in light of this pattern, what we see, what scientists have proven to us, is that there's, 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 what it shows us, what we see is that there's a divine order to things. There's not random happenstance. And this pattern of creating and feeling is a purpose of promoting life. This, this, let me say it again, this, this pattern of creating where God creates and then God fills, where we see a divine order to things, is for the purpose of sustaining and promoting life. And it's revealed to us in chapter 1. And this reminds us of the fact, it should remind us of the fact that God alone, right? We know this, but it reminds us of the fact that God alone is the giver and he is the sustainer, sustainer of all life. In addition to this, we see that in God's pattern of creating, as I read through this again, you've probably seen this, that in God's pattern of creating, there's a principle that's brought forth in all this planning. It's called the principle of separation. That started, and it's revealed to us, starting with the fact that God, he separated the light from the darkness, right? And then the day from the night, and the waters above from the waters below, and the land from the waters. And I point this out because it's this principle of separation, which is first seen at the beginning, at the creation in the book of Genesis. It's, it's evident all throughout Scripture. For example... I'm just going to hit a few things. When God called Abraham, right? In Genesis chapter 12. Out of Ur, out of the land of the Chaldeans. We know that he says in, in chapter 12, it says that God was separating Abraham from his country, from his family, and from his father's house in order to create through him, in order to create through him, through this principle of separation, a great and mighty nation. A people unto himself. 
We also read then a little further on in the, in, in the, in the history of in the account of all things in Exodus chapter 34, how God also through Moses commanded the people of Israel, a people you know, set apart unto himself a great nation whom God brought forth through Abraham, whom God created. He called them through Moses to also be separate to be separate from all the other nations around them, to not be like them. And he did so so that they might be a light, a testimony, a witness who revealed God to the rest of the world. Likewise, this principle of God separating is applied to us, right? We know this. Over and over again in the New Testament, we read that as God's people, as God's children, adopted by grace, through faith, brought in as God's children. Those of us who say we have fellowship with Jesus, it tells us in passages like Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, James chapter 1, verse 7, and then also in, in passages like 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, we're told over and over and over again to be separate from the darkness that is in the world and to be joined to him. Separated to be joined. And these are just a few of the many other important things found there for us in chapter 1. But I point out these things once again so that they might build a foundation for chapter 2. And in chapter 2, as we start our study... It says, I'll read. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. Let me read that again. That's an important verse. Thus the heavens and the earth and all of the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God entered, or God ended his work which he had done, and he rested. On the seventh day from all the work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day. He sanctified it, which literally means that he set it apart. He sanctified it. He set it apart. Because in it he had rested from all of his work which God had created and made. Now verse 4 says, This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. Again, we see a purpose, right? A pattern, even in this, this, this summation or this, this reaccounting, if you will, of the creation. We see that God did, did it in an orderly fashion to create and sustain life. But it says in verse 6 that there was a mist that went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And he breathed into the nostrils, his nostrils, the breath of life. And man became a living being. Verse 8, then the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he, had, he put the man whom he had formed. And, and out of the ground of the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. 
the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first is the Bishan, and, and, and it is the one which skirts the whole land of, of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stones are there, and the name of the second river is, is Gion, and it is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hydekel, and it is the one which goes towards the east of Assyria. The fourth river, the fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man, and he put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but... Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in, that, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And, and, and whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. And so Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was none found a helper comparable to him. So even Adam, all the way back in the beginning, knew that he was different. Different than any other thing that God had created. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place, and the rib from which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Thank you, God. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, so she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and the woman were not ashamed. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, God, for your word. Lord, we want to feed upon it this morning to know more about you, to see your purpose for our lives, to see, God, that we are valuable, to see that we've been designed and created for you. Lord, help us to see this and to know how to better live in relationship with you. So that, God, these things of this life that we try to cram in that only bring forth um, fear and anger and worry and depression and, and all of these things, God, that seem to just burden us down, that make us feel exhausted, to make us feel tired, Lord, so that all of these things would fade out and that we would have more of you day and, and, and day, Lord, every day. God, we want more of you this morning. We want a, a fresh new feeling from you. We want a, a revelation from you, from your word. God, we want to feel your arms of love wrapped around us. God, we want to be in your presence, just like that song we sang, knowing that you're a good, good father and that we're acceptable to you. Lord, there's no better encouragement. There's no greater thing. So I pray you would bless the time that we have left together, that you would give us wisdom and understanding, and Lord, that we would take the truths in your word and we apply them to our lives. I pray, Lord, that if anyone's here is just struggling with the 
heaviness of this world, that they truly are exhausted to the point of even feeling like giving up. I pray, God, that they would be encouraged, and more so than encouraged, Lord, but they would see that there's hope out of the spot that they're in, and you're calling them into this place of rest in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you look back to chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, in the first verses here, the first three verses of this chapter that we read, we see that on the seventh day of creation, okay, still considered one of the days in which God created because it says, in this day, God filled it with his rest. It's an aspect of the creation. And in the seventh day, God rested. And in this one phrase, I I dare to say, in this one phrase is a key or possibly even the key to having a healthy life. But more importantly, God's example of resting, which is given to us here, it is a foundation of man's relationship to God. It is the foundation of of our relationship to God because it encompasses every other aspect of man's relationship to God that you can think about. This rest is the foundation. But in order to see this, we must first understand that God did not rest from the work that he had just done on the previous six days because he'd become exhausted. He wasn't like, oh my goodness, that last thing, breathing life into man, that, that just about did it for me. You see, if we look back and remember, remember when God created everything into existence, all he did was speak, and it was done. He spoke, and it was done. He did not have to exert himself. I wish I had that power, you know? I got to go home and mow my lawn. I was like, lawn be mowed, and it was done. So the fact that God spoke and it was done tells us that it was easy for God to create everything that you and I see. How hopeful is that? If you look around at the complexity of the world around us and you go, man, all all God had to do was speak, how much smaller do our problems seem when we put them in that perspective of the fact that we have a God who loves us, a God who's for us, who says, cast your burdens upon me? How much easier is it to be able to deal with these things that we face when we look around and see how great and awesome and powerful our God is who can just go, hey, and it's done. And it's done. So the fact that God spoke and it it was done, it tells us, again, that it was easy for God to create. Nevertheless, when we read here that God rested on the seventh day, we see the beginning, okay, a beginning or the creation of something important that the Bible will later refer to by the word Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath, which is a time of ceasing or resting, is intended to be a place, okay? It's, it's, it's intended to be a place of rest for man that can only be found in a friendship relationship with God. In light of this, we see that the Sabbath, a a day of rest, as as it's been commonly now uh, 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 referred to, is, is intended to direct us to God. This rest, or this day of rest, is intended to direct us to God. 
Because that's who and where we find our rest. And as we study through this truth, we must remember that God created man and he created us in his triune image. We talked about this a little bit last week. And this points us to the fact that we have a need for rest in every dimension of our created being. That's why I kind of spoke about many different things, physical, spiritual, and emotional. And, 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 and this triune created being that we are, you know, we have the body or the physical part of us. We have the spirit, which is the mind or the seed of the thought and emotion. And there's the soul, which is the eternal part of us that lives for all, for all of eternity. And, and not only does God call us to rest, he is the one that gives us a physical a mental, and a spiritual rest that we, as a created being, are in need of. And he gives us this rest by coming to him, by literally surrendering to him. Remember, it was Jesus who said, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The answer is Jesus. The answer is more of Jesus. Now the word rested used here in verses 2 and 3 is translated from the Hebrew word Shabbat. And it means literally to cease from a work or to cease from labor. And when God rested or ceased working on the seventh day, it was because, as we read in verse 1, that he had finished all that he had set out to do. It was done. But in taking a documented day of creation, but God, in taking a documented day of creation... To rest, he was giving us an example. And his example of resting would would later even become a command, would it not? A command given to the nation of Israel. And, And this command to keep a day of rest and to keep it holy or set apart from all the others, by the way, is number four on God's big list of ten. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, we find this command, and it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But on the seventh day, but the seventh day, it is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and that all that is within them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he hallowed it. He set it apart. Now obviously we're not like God, okay, in, the, in, any, in, in many ways. But in the sense that we're never going to get to the place where our work is complete. So the idea isn't having completed and then rested. There's always going to be something to be done, right? You, you get done with something, you sit down, I don't know about you, me, and I begin to think about the next thing that I got to do. 
Nevertheless, God's example and His command is still applicable to our lives today and it has implications that affect our physical and our mental and our spiritual well-being. And this is due to the fact that we are created being and, and by God's perfect plan, by God's designed and orderly plan, He's created it so that we have a need for rest, a need to rest And it's also that we might draw near to Him. Do you get that? God created the seventh day as a day of rest so that we might commune with Him, so that we might have fellowship with Him, that we may receive what we need. And what is that? Everything. All things from Him. And if we're not doing that, then we're going to be tired, then we're going to be weary, then we're going to be overwhelmed because we have this need and we tend to cram all kinds of other things in there as we just running about doing our thing, whether it's in our mind or our spirit or in our physical bodies, trying to figure out how to get the work done. And God says, what you need is me. However, more important than the refreshing and the renewing of the physical and mental parts of us that we usually think about in regards to rest, that God is certainly intending for us to receive with this command to keep a day of rest, is this greater need of the spiritual rest that can only be found in His presence. And this is what the Sabbath is all about, the Sabbat. It's all about that. From the very beginning, even to today, it's all about that. And the Bible deals with the Sabbath, the keeping of a day of rest, in really a very clear and concise way. It's not confusing when you read the Word of God and when God says, hey, listen, this is what the Sabbath is. Yet for the Jews, we know, right? For the Jews, we know that it had become, and it still is for many people today, even Jew and Gentile alike, Christian believers, that the Sabbath or this this day of rest or this time of rest, it's, it's a very misunderstood thing. There's a whole denomination out there who, who the, 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 basically the foundation for why they are and who they are, their denomination, is because of the Sabbath. Uh, that's, that's a side note. But for the Jews, the Sabbath day had become a day of burdens. It, 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 was, it, it lost what it was very, the very intention of what God had created it and designed it to be. It had become a day of burdens in light of the fact that the legalistic Jews of the time, they created their own lists of what a person could and could not do on the Sabbath day. Now, I just read from you, read to you previously a passage of Scripture that dealt about the Sabbath, and I thought God made it pretty clear. You can't work. Your cow can't work. You know, on and on and on. You just you can't work. What are you supposed to do? Rest. But that wasn't good enough. There had to be laws set up by these legalistic Jews to make sure that you didn't do these things that you weren't supposed to do. And laws for those laws. And laws for those laws. And in doing so, they took the very thing of God, which was intended to be a blessing for man, created to be a blessing for man, and they turned it into a curse. Not that it really matters, but the Jewish Sabbath was originally observed on a Saturday. And some religiously legalistic people today 
They, 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 they take the day of rest and they make it about a specific day of the week. And I'm not going to get into the, oh, what does that really mean? I'm just pointing this out for a specific reason. They, they take the Sabbath, which is a day of rest, and they make it about a day of the week. And lots of other things as well. But, but, but I just want to point out, so there's no biblical defense for that, by the way. For observing a specific day above any other in order to obtain the rest that God says we need. It's not found in a day. And, and in their legalism, just like the Jews had done, what happens when we do this, we lose the, the sight of the fact that God intends for the Sabbath to be a time of drawing near to Him. It, it is intended to be a time of honoring Him. Consequently, if you make it about a day, you know what you do? You begin to honor the day. You don't honor God. You honor a specific day and you miss out on the fact that you have a created need to be spiritually renewed and to be spiritually revitalized by God through relationship with Him. Now, the whole issue regarding the Sabbath and the spiritual rest that we're supposed to enter into, if you want to read more about it in a New Testament um, light, go to Hebrews chapter 4. I'm not going to read that to you this morning, but you can go to Hebrews chapter 4 because the author of the book of Hebrews, he talks about entering into God's rest, and he brings the discussion to the Sabbath and the creation, the seventh day, which was created for a, for a day of rest, and he brings that into this discussion in Hebrews chapter 4, and in that chapter 4 of the, uh, the book of Hebrews, the point that is being made is this. I'm going to boil it all down for you. The point that's being made is that faith in God is the key to finding rest. Faith in God is the key to finding rest in every aspect of our being, especially spiritual. Faith literally in the completed work of of God. Faith in the sovereignty of God. Faith in the power of God. Faith in the authority of God. And when we put our faith in God, you know what happens? We cease from our laboring. We stop trying to do it in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own power, in our own understanding. <clears throat> because when we do those things, we get wore out. We do it in the, in, the, in the strength of our flesh, not in the power of the Spirit, so to speak. And when we cease from our laboring, you know what happens? We entered in, we enter, and we rest, we enter into the work of God, which is completed. Not only here in regards to the creation, but you remember on Jesus on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. It's finished. The point is, when it comes to finding rest for our soul, there's no, no rest, no rest apart from faith in Jesus. There's no rest apart from faith in Jesus. You're striving. What are you striving for? You're laboring. What are you laboring for? It's been done. Rest. What do you do when you rest? Right, you're kicking your feet back and you're enjoying. Maybe you're listening to music. Maybe you're sipping on a lemonade because your lawn. You spoke to your lawn and said, "Lawn be mowed," and it was mowed. But there's no work left, guys. There's no labor. We run around this life, especially in in, in America, 
right? And we're going here and we're doing there and we got to do this and we got to do that. And we miss out on so much that God has for us, not just in our relationship with Him because we're striving, we're laboring, we miss out on our relationship with one another, which is another part of this resting. We don't enjoy our spouse in the way that God has designed and created it to be at the end of this chapter. And that's an aspect of our fellowship with God. We don't enjoy our kids. Why? Because we've got to do this. We've got to do that. We've not taken time to rest in the Lord and His authority. He's the one that created this day. But you think, well, I can't do it. There's too much to do. I've got I to do this. I've got to do that. And really what you're doing is you're operating in your own wisdom, your own strength. Instead of just going, God, you know best, six days you worked, the seventh you rested, and that's a model, that's a plan for me to rest. And, and again, there's no rest in any aspect of our being, especially in our soul, apart from faith in Jesus. And this is because there is no amount of works that we can do on our own that makes us, in that spiritual sense, acceptable to God that allows for us to enter into His presence. There's no amount of work we can do. There's no amount of work that we can do to receive the spiritual renewing that we need. It's found in rest. You know, this is further revealed by the words of Jesus when He spoke to the Pharisees. Remember, Jesus was really not liked by them at this point in His ministry, by the Pharisees. And, And it's kind of funny because the Pharisees were like sneaking around trying to catch Jesus and his disciples in some kind of wrongdoing. And, 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 and it was on a Sabbath day that, that the disciples and Jesus, they were walking through a field of grain, right? And they were picking the grain and they were eating it. And, and the Pharisees, it says, they, they, they sprung up like they were hiding in the, in the grain. And, and they, they began to condemn Jesus' disciples for, quote-unquote, working on the Sabbath. And in, 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 in Jesus' words... What he spoke to them, we find in that message, and if we read through it again in light of what we've been talking about it, what we find is God's original intent behind the Sabbath, behind the seventh day, and how it was designed for the purpose of calling and leading mankind ultimately into this responsive relationship with God. In Mark chapter 2 is where we read this account in verses 23 through through 28. And it says this, it says, now it happened that, that he, Jesus, went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of the grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, what do they do? And what they do is not lawful on the Sabbath. But Jesus said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need? When he was hungry. He and those who were with him, how they went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and they ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest, and also gave some to those who were with him. Now, it's not about David going and getting bread, the showbread. It's about where David went. It's about who David went to and what he received, right? You see that? That's what Jesus is speaking about. Remember, Jesus is always speaking about spiritual things, leading us into spiritual truth. The Pharisees were so blinded that I could only see the physical, the carnal, the temporal things. Let us not be that way for us. And then he said to them, Jesus made this statement. He said, listen, you Pharisees, 
He said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man, he says, the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. Who's it all about? Jesus. Jesus is the, he's the answer. Oh my goodness, I have so much more to do here. Let's just wrap it up with just this last little bit. Um, the worship team wants to come up. Now, in closing, I want to point out that in these verses that we just read, we see Jesus reminding the Pharisees of what we just really read about in Genesis chapter 2. Okay, It all ties together. It all goes back to this. this. The, the Sabbath is a day of physical, emotional, and spiritual rest that man is called and commanded to enter into as we set aside the labors and cares of life to draw near and to be refreshed by God. That's the formula, if you will. And we can't always think about this in the physical. Yes, are we to physically set a time aside where we just seek God and be with Him and enjoy His creation? Absolutely. But don't limit it to just the physical because we're missing out. Now again, apply these truths to every aspect of our being. <clears throat> when I say this, remember, the Sabbath is a day of physical, emotional, and spiritual rest that man is to enter into as we set aside our labors and the cares of this life in order to draw near to God and to be refreshed and renewed by Him. The bottom line is the rest that God intends for us to have is not found in what we are or are not doing or even in what we do or do not do. The key in understanding and obtaining the rest that God intends for us to have is found in our faith. In the one who said, the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. And these words of Jesus points out the fact that the rest that God desires for us to enter into is greater than any day of the week. The rest that God has commanded us to observe is for drawing near to Him through His Son, Jesus, in order that we might find rest in Him, through Him. The bottom line is that finding rest needs to be a daily thing. Not just a once a week thing. You know, we sleep every night to rest our bodies, to rest our minds, and yet the more important need is to be daily rested in God, to find spiritual renewing. And if we're only doing this once a week, then we're going to become spiritually tired. You're going to be ill-equipped to handle anything that the rest of the week has for you or the rest of the day has for you. See, in the beginning, God demonstrated for us a time of rest so that we might cease from our labors in order that we might, why is the reason? In order that we might have fellowship with Him and be renewed through a relationship, ultimately a friendship with Him. And this is so important because this understanding of our need for a rest, it reveals to us ultimately our need for God. Do you see that? The seventh day is intended, that seventh day of rest is intended for us as God's created thing to realize that we have a need for Him. 
and it sets this foundation for and encompasses all the other aspects of our relationship to God that is further revealed in the remaining verses of this chapter. And I could go on for another two hours. Is anybody up for that? Sure? No? Well, how about next week? And we'll talk about those other aspects now that the foundation has been laid. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for giving us truth. Thank you, God, for showing us, even since the very beginning, that, that you created us with this need for you. And, God, that you have everything that we need, and you give it to us freely when we come to you in faith. I pray, Father, that we would apply this principle, this foundation of rest in you so that we may, God, optimize every aspect of our relationship with you so that we may have joy, so that we may have peace so that people look at us and see that we're energized as a result of being in fellowship with you. God, fill us with your spirit. Lord, encourage us and bless us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, why don't you guys stand? and.